Well, we are in Matthew chapter 17, as uh, we are looking at the transfiguration this morning. And, uh, you know, as we, as we look at nature, I had uh, some seeds up here and I lost my seeds. Oh, thank you. But, you know, as you look at nature, um, some, an interesting phenomena takes place in, um, in many different things that, uh, they, the things tr- transform. There is a, um, uh, metamorphosis that, that takes place. Uh, we've seen that in, in, in water. You know, the water takes many different shapes. If you uh, put it at a particular temperature, it's going to freeze. And if you warm it up a little bit, it's going to become water. And if you warm it up a little more, it can become steam, steam that can drive uh, powerful uh, things like locomotives. And uh, if you put it out in the environment, it will uh, dissipate, it will evaporate and um, go into the atmosphere, and uh, we've seen uh, things like um, atmospheric rivers occur, uh, particularly here in California this last season. I had never heard of the term atmospheric river, but it is amazing the amount of water that can be in the sky above us and that can come out and come down and replenish the earth. So that's one uh, form of metamorphosis. Another is a, a caterpillar. A caterpillar turning into a butterfly. You know, uh, this little thing crawling around on the ground or crawling on leaves uh, that can give some of you chills, uh, freak you out. It can metamorphosize into a beautiful butterfly. But, you know... From a caterpillar to a butterfly or from, or water or ice to an atmospheric river, uh, it's, it's the nature, the composition of whatever it is, it does not change. It may change on the outside, the structure may change, but it in and of itself does not change. I have these seeds here. Sunflower seeds. Um, before Mother's Day, I think it was before Mother's Day, I went outside and I took some of my, took some of my daughter's, um, sunflower seeds that she handed out following her, her wedding. And I've been planting those. I planted those last season and I planted them this, this season. And, uh, it's amazing. You can take this sunflower seed that, uh, it, put it in the ground and from this seed will grow this enormous, beautiful sunflower. I think I have a picture of, of Macy standing behind one of these sunflower seeds. This is what Macy, Macy planted one of these seeds, uh, in Sunday school class, um, a few months ago. And, uh, Macy took that planted seed home. And she put it in her garden in the backyard. And as she was putting in her garden, I think she was putting like three seeds into the garden to grow. Uh, she spilled the seeds on the ground. And so mom and dad had to uh, redo the seeds and get them in the ground. But, you know, this is what Macy was able to grow. 
want to show you my sunflower seed plant. This is my sunflower seed plant. I planted my sunflower seed the same time Macy did. And this is what I've been able to grow. You know, what's that hee-haw song? If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Well, that's about me when it comes to growing things. But but a transformation occurs when you put this seed into the ground. The Its nature, its composition doesn't change. It is still a sunflower, whether it's in this form or in that form. It's a sunflower plant. And so... That's what we're looking at this morning in the life of Jesus. Jesus transformed in the eyes of disciples. He, he became something, someone that the disciples had never seen before. But the composition, the person, the nature of who Jesus is never changed. And we're going to see at the end of the message this morning that when it can't comes to the person of Jesus Christ, whether it's he's on earth or he's sitting on his throne, his nature, who he is, never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I hope this message encourages you. And if you have your Bibles, let's look at Matthew chapter 17 this morning. Matthew chapter 17, beginning with um, verse 1. Actually, I'm going to read 16 verse 27 first, or or 28. Jesus uh, said this in verse 28 of the previous chapter. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then six days later, chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. The Bible says this in verse 1, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led him up a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed, um, overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This was a memorable moment 
for three disciples. It was an aha moment. Have you ever had one of those aha moments of who Jesus is or who Jesus wants to be or is in your life? I mean, this had a profound impact on Peter, uh, James, and John. And we're going to uh, look at that a little bit more this morning. But why the transfiguration? Why did Jesus take these three up on that mountaintop and just those three and, uh, and became transformed, transfigured in front of their very eyes? I want to sh- suggest three, four things this morning. Uh, the purpose behind this transfiguration. The first purpose was to, I believe, encourage Jesus on his upcoming sacrifice. Um, the Bible says that uh, as Jesus was being transformed, as his face sh- shone bright, his clothes shone bright, there appeared Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus. Now, now, why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses, we know, is the lawgiver, and he's the author of the first five books of the Bible. He's the writer of the law. And then we have Elijah. Why we have Elijah and not one of the other prophets, uh, uh, Isaiah or Jeremiah or maybe even King David? We, we don't know the answer, but Elijah is there with Moses. And Isaac, Moses and Elijah are representing both the law and the prophets and all the written word of the Old Testament. The Bible, as we read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is not an irrelevant book. It has a lot to do with what we see of the person of Jesus in the New Testament. All of the Old Testament, in fact, all the books of the Bible point to one person. That's Jesus. And so here we have Moses and Elijah all representing all of what's written of the Old Testament communicating in a conversation with Jesus. What are they conversing? We don't know. Uh, but one of the things we do know is in Luke chapter 9, verse 30, 30, uh, 39, 31, uh, they are converse, conversing about uh, Jesus' upcoming exodus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And there's one individual among the three that knows something about an exodus, and that's Moses. But the two of them are probably encouraging Jesus about what is about to transpire and probably telling Jesus, Jesus, don't just look at the suffering. The suffering is important. He's probably feeling a bit overwhelmed about what he's going to be facing on the cross. But look beyond the cross. Jesus, there is life beyond the cross. And Jesus, you know that so well because you were on the throne with your father uh, before you came to the earth. And that's where you're going to be again. Look beyond the cross and life eternal and all those that... All those that you are going to rescue that are going to be a part of this exodus with you, Jesus. So most certainly they were encouraging Jesus uh, on his upcoming sacrifice 
and beyond. But not only do we see them encouraging Jesus, but we see that Jesus truly is the God of glory. The Bible says in verse 2 that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Not only did uh, Jesus transform, but uh, as Peter began to speak, uh, suggesting that uh, they, they build three tents, one for both Moses, Jesus, and Elijah, the Bible says that there was a luminous cloud that came over uh, all of them. We're going to talk about the luminous cloud uh, because that is... Um, this luminous cloud is very important in the Old Testament. We see this luminous cloud uh, on several different occasions. It was a luminous cloud that guided the children of Israel in the wilderness uh, during the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 13, this luminous cloud was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night a pillar of cloud by day the presence the 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 glory of god covered the children protected the children of israel for 40 years in the wilderness it kept uh living in the desert bearable tolerable. And we all know what it's like to live in the desert. When we leave this morning, it's going to be close to 110 degrees. But we all know how refreshing it is, don't we, church? When a cloud comes over the sky and and uh, protects us from the sun for a brief moment. How refreshing that is. Now, during monsoon season, when we see those clouds, it's no longer a dry heat, is it? But uh, but even when it's, you know, humid and that cloud covers the sun, we think there's, ah, oh, just, just stay there. This was the luminous cloud in the Old Testament for 40 solid years as the children of Israel wandered in Mount Sinai. God was protecting his... They probably, I guess they didn't have sunscreen, or I'm not sure if they needed it, but that cloud protected them from severe sunburns. But not only was God's presence a pillar of cloud by day, but a pillar of fire by night. Because we know how cold the desert can get, particularly in the winter time, don't we? And the presence of God was over the children of Israel, protecting them from the harsh winter weather. So pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, we see Moses up on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. Um, um, just 
being in the presence of God's glory. And we know the story of when when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face shone for a period of time because he had been in the, the glory of God's presence. Exodus chapter 40 Uh, after Israel had uh, obeyed God's instructions in building the tabernacle in that dedication ceremony, a luminous cloud came over the tabernacle and people had to get away because the glory of the Lord was um, in that place. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, again, the glory of the Lord filled the temple when the temple had been dedicated. This illuminous cloud church is God's Shekinah glory. This luminous cloud is the garment of God's glory. And God's glory has descended upon that mountain with disciples, Moses and Elijah and Jesus Jesus is radiating uh, before them. And there's a voice that comes from that cloud and says, listen to my son. This is my one and only son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is radiating, is revealing the glory of God to his disciples. His flesh had been concealing this glory all along. But for a brief moment, for three disciples, God peeled back the flesh and they were able to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus was being transformed. He was transfigured, but the nature, the composition of who Jesus is has not changed. For the first time, God is opening their eyes to who Jesus really is. He is the glory of God. And the disciples see this and Peter blurts out, well, Jesus, why why don't we build three tents? And before Peter can finish the statement, that a luminous cloud has dropped uh, over them, and the Spirit of God says, no. Why does he say no? Because Moses and Elijah, you can't even put them in the same category as Jesus. What Moses and Elijah did and what they wrote about, it all points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if you talk to Jews, you know, Jesus isn't preeminent. Jesus isn't superior. I mean, the the words of Moses and the words of of the prophets are very important to to the Jew. And what God is saying in the New Testament, listen to my son. Because he is far superior. The disciples are being shown Jesus is the God of glory. And they're catching a glimpse 
of Jesus in his earthly, in his eternity past as well as his eternity future. This is the real Jesus. This is the all of Jesus. And this is just a brief part, okay? I think if they got, they were able to see all of God's glory, they would not have survived because they are still mortal man. And mortal man cannot look on the glory of God. But God was giving them a taste. And we're seeing what who Jesus really is in the Old Testament before he was clothed in flesh. We read Isaiah chapter uh, 6 this morning already and whom Isaiah saw in the temple in his vision in Isaiah chapter 6. You know who that is? That's Jesus. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 5, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 says, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, in his vision, is just overwhelmed by his own sinfulness, his unholiness in the presence of a holy God because he has seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Like I said, this this transfiguration has made an indelible mark on these three disciples. John knows exactly now who Jesus is. And if you'll turn to John chapter 12, John, John quotes Isaiah. Now the text, the context of um, John quoting Isaiah is really what, <clears throat> Jesus has had his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. It's it's the Passion Week now. And Jesus is uh, sharing with the people who he is. And there are a lot of skeptical people. And so John, in that context, quotes from Isaiah chapter 53. He says in verse uh, 38, Lord, who has believed what we heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. And then verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. John knows, is well aware of who Isaiah is referring to in Isaiah chapter 6. It is the pre-incarnate 
Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King. He is the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw the glory of God in Jesus in Isaiah 6. And John knows that he has seen the glory of God in his son. When he writes in John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. He is part of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is, He is the God in flesh. James knew this, but James didn't have an opportunity to write about it because James was uh, killed uh, before he was able to write it, anything. If he had written anything, he was killed in Acts chapter 12. But uh, we see also Peter. Peter uh, recorded in his um, his book in First Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. He said, For we did not follow clearly devised stories. Okay. And he's referring to this transfiguration episode in particular when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. For we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Don't let anybody convince you that Jesus isn't God. The disciples knew fully, they were fully aware, particularly after this transformation, that Jesus is the glory of God. He is part of the Godhead. And God wants us to know this. He did not not just want his disciples to know this, but he wants us to know this, that Jesus is the glory of God. The third thing we need to glean from this passage, the purpose of this transformation, is that we need to listen to Jesus. You know, Peter wanted to put Moses and Elijah and Jesus all in the same category. Jesus, let's build three tents, one for each of you guys. And God says, no. Moses and Elijah don't even compare. Listen to my son. And maybe you're here this morning, you're reading the Bible and you're in the Old Testament and you're thinking, well, pastor, should I just skip the Old Testament and go right to the Gospels and read about Jesus? No, no. It's all important. And as you read the Old Testament, you need to look for Jesus. Whom the Moses and the prophets were describing. He is there. You know, I was going to bring this um, little devotional um, Bible that we give to parents when they dedicate their children. It's a story of the Bible. But it is a great devotional tool. And it's great for parents, not just for the little kids. 
because this devotional Bible takes you throughout Scripture and helps you to see the various stories of the Old Testament and all how they all point to Jesus. God, the glory of God, the voice of God is saying, this is my son. Listen to him. He is truth. Jesus is truth. You know, we live in a day and age where, you know, moral relativism, whatever works for you, rules the day. And it can't be that way. Scripture tells us what's true and what's not true. And the reason why we can believe God and his word and live by his rules is because he's the one that's created all of this. He is the author of all of life. When you buy something new and it comes with instructions... Well, most of the time, we'll pull out those instructions and read them to try to figure out how the thing works. Uh, you'll v- avoid a whole lot of headache if you do. I know some of you guys pride yourselves and not, ah, I don't want to waste my time with instructions. Yeah, Matt Cropley. <laughs> but we need to read the instructions, for the most part, to figure it out. You want to figure out life? Read the instruction book. God is the one who has created it all. You know, this little pen has uh, uh, metrics and uh, and inches on here, I would imagine. And I'm sure that uh, this measurement is accurate. I'm sure that the people who put these measurements on this pen didn't just kind of eyeball it and put those marks down. Because had they done that, and you try to um, do things with this pen, you're going to have a mess. I mean, when we see rulers, when we see weights, they all um, are the same. And the reason why they're the same is because there is an overall uh, organization that has determined that this is what we will all live by. And if we all live by that, that, by that, everything works and we will not have chaos. And then it's the same thing with God's word. God has told us what is right and what works and how we are to live our lives. Jesus is true. And God says, listen. To my son. And then the fourth purpose. As we conclude uh, this message this morning. Is this. Jesus' care never changes. Jesus' care never changes. Like I said earlier. Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever. And how do we know Jesus cares? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 17. When that luminous cloud came came down and God's voice 
uh, spoke. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Verse 5. When the disciples heard this, verse 6, they fell on their faces and were terrified. God had spoken. Verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. The disciples were afraid. They were in the cloud. They had heard God's voice. They had seen Jesus transform. They didn't know what was going on. And they fell in fear. And Jesus comes up. And he touches them. Don't be afraid. I'm here. And when they look up, all they see is Jesus' face. Jesus' care. That Jesus calms the storm. That happened to another disciple again. John who's been up on this mountaintop, had a vision of the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, or if it's in your, I think it's in your outline this morning, Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Well, let me go, because I want to read more of Revelation, because this is, this is Jesus in heaven today. We get a glimpse of Jesus' transformation. But here we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. I want you to know, folks, that Jesus is in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father today. And he is, he has been transformed, transfigured into the glory of God. And this is what John saw in his vision. And he fell at his feet like a dead man. And yet Jesus takes John and he touches John and says, John, Don't be afraid. 
it's me. Yes, his structure has changed on the outside. But the composition, the nature of who Jesus is will never change. He is the same Jesus who cares not only for John, but for each of us. You can trust him. He is there for you. And he is the sovereign God of the universe. He is truth. And only Jesus will set your life in order. Listen to him. Let's pray. What's Jesus been telling you to do? And you've kind of waffled. You don't know what to do with it. This morning, Jesus, with his hand and his voice, is saying, Don't be afraid. Trust me. I hold the keys to life. Obey my voice. Father, thank you for allowing us to see a glimpse of your glory this morning. We've, we haven't even scratched the surface. I pray that you would open our eyes to see you high and lifted up like you showed Peter, James, and John. They knew your glory. They saw it. And God, we live in a world today who wants to deny your glory, that wants to suppress the, the truth. God, help us not to fear. To stand firm for what we believe. Not be arrogant and obnoxious about what we know, but humble. Overwhelmed by your grace and truth in our life. Father, help your children to know your touch. And to hear your words, don't be afraid. You're here. Father, we love you and we praise you for this truth this morning.